Welcome to The Art of Social Media, a podcast by Social Pilot. We host in-depth discussions with world-leading social media marketing experts that will help you discover the techniques, strategies, and skills you need to use to grow your business using social media. Now, here's your host, Tejas Mehta. Why don't I deep dive into the social strategy that SparkToro uses, right? What kind of content do you post on the two channels, Twitter and LinkedIn? How do you figure out the best time to post? You know, is it video? Is it audio? Is it images? All the fine details that agencies really want to know. Yeah, it depends on the, all the things depend on all the things. But in terms of what we post, that ten, we don't have hard limits around that. So it tends to be the case that our, we basically have three accounts on both LinkedIn and Twitter. So the SparkToro official account, Amanda's account, and my account. And we, generally speaking, are doing a combination of what I'd call educational content, maybe news and industry trend commentary. Some folks kind of call that thought leadership style stuff. And then a, a very substantive portion of which is pure engagement that I would call um, entertainment or just personal connection, right? So essentially, hey, I see this person I don't know, having a tough day, looking for some help on, they have a job posting. Hey, I know that person. Let me go help them out and amplify their job posting and just sort of be a good human being in the world to them. And that's something that I think Amanda and I would do regardless of where we worked. But SparkToro sees a lot of benefit from that, right? There's just lots of people who have nice things to say about you know us because we help them. And I love that. I think that that sort of serendipitous, impossible to measure payback from being a good human being to other people. That's, I love that kind of marketing, right? And it's hard to even classify it as marketing. It's just sort of the thing that happens when you put goodness out in the world. In terms of the SparkToro account, that is mostly posting content that's related to what we are doing with the brand. So it's, it's usually blog posts, webinars, uh, sometimes podcast interviews. We also take this sort of strong position on our work culture, and we've been doing a lot of brand building and amplification and social media marketing around that. So we have this concept to just of um, what we call chill work. And chill work is sort of this in opposition to hustle culture, right? Chill work is essentially our general practice of trying to work maybe 25 to 30 hours a week. So you know, closer to like European style working hours and focusing on the work that we can do that has the highest returns and that is the most useful rather than striving to work the most or get the most possible done that we can. And that's a, you know, obviously big, big difference from how most companies operate, but we try and do a lot around amplifying that message and talking about that wherever and however we can. The SparkToro account does that. Uh, we're, we're starting up a podcast, actually, Amanda and I are, called Chill Work. I love the concept of Chill Work. Uh, something to experiment with at Social Ballad as well. Thanks for sharing that. And thanks again for amplifying everybody on social media. Social media these days really requires people who are you know, doing good deeds, as opposed to all the negativity that we see. Yeah, yeah. It's a very reciprocal type of environment. If you see someone who's consistently good to other people and good to you, it's just going to be really different from if it's 
oh, hey, they're posting their, you know, every day, the blog post that they put up on their website, they tweet about that. It's just, it's not the same, right? Absolutely. Going back to uh, SparkToro's social account, what metrics do you use to kind of measure the success? How do you know that your social strategy for SparkToro is working or not? <laughs> is this revealing your secret sources, <laughs> Ran? You're going to hate this answer. We don't measure. We don't measure. I know. It's wild, especially after Moz, right? Moz had a very, you know, huge dashboard tracking everything, every department, you know, the social, uh, the content team, the, the events team, the SEO team, everybody had all their metrics that they were tracking and they'd report those dashboards up to their managers and the managers would show them to the C-level and we'd talk about them at, a, at the board of directors level. And at SparkToro, I don't care. I don't, I think that that work is wasted. So this goes back to the kind of the, the chill work thing. I think the process of measuring and analyzing and trying to perfect and refine your metrics, for us, we're just, it just doesn't matter. We're, we're, we're too small. We don't have to report to anyone, right? It's just me and Casey and Amanda. We're the only ones who care. And so we look for investments that we want to make. We make them regardless of whether the payoff is there. We double down on things that look like they work before. So Amanda or I might look at our, you know, our Twitter stats or our LinkedIn stats. We might look at blog posts that did well through Google Analytics and didn't do well. And we might try and double down on some things that didn't, didn't. But to be honest, there is no formality around it at all. And that saves us a ton of work. And I actually think it means that we're more creative. I love that, uh, Ran. Social Palette is also bootstrap. And, you know, I totally understand, you know, no pressure of investors, no reporting to anybody else. Hey, uh, we'll do what you, we feel right. And yeah. that, that's a lot of fun. It's one of those things where I think natural human behavior, you know, if you think about like you or I, they just out, out in the world, right? When we go, I don't know, we go to the supermarket and we go shopping and we don't have analytics around, hey, how fast did you get all the grocery shopping done? And did you get the optimal prices? And But over time, I would argue that most human beings figure out a pattern that satisfies their needs in a relatively optimum sort of way because our brains are sort of built to learn. They're built for pattern matching. We, we identify patterns, we find them, we execute on them. That's essentially what we're doing here, right? Instead of being metrics-driven, we're more metrics-informed. Oh, I'm curious, you know, I'm curious about how well my tweets did last month. Let me go pop into my, whatever, follower wonk account. I do have a follower wonk account. I'll look at, you know, where I grew my followers a lot. Every once in a while, probably every three to five months, I'll go in there and take a look and see what's going on. And that, that data is interesting and it'll maybe help me be more informed next time, but it is not rigid. There's not a, a restriction or a, you know, guardrails against being, doing more creative sorts of things that we might want to do. And I, I think that has better long-term ROI when you're a small challenger brand in a startup environment than having that you know, corporate trial structure. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, I want to touch on the personal branding side of things in a minute, but I just have like quick couple of questions. How can content marketers use social media to amplify their content marketing? And then how can SEOs use social media to kind of amplify their SEO efforts? Those answers, we could do, you know, two hours on, on those topics. <laughs> I would say, so on the social media for content, I think there's the most simple and straightforward, which is you share the content that you create. But the next level, right, level two of that sophistication is you 
find elements of the content that you are creating on your own website or your own webinars or whatever, and you repurpose those into native content on the platform. For example, uh, you might take, you know, let's say there's two or three visuals or images from your blog post. You might take one of those and share it with no link and, you know, some commentary about it on the topic on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, or but you might do a little mini video on TikTok. You might post it to a subreddit that's relevant. You might answer a question on Quora with it, all these kinds of things. And then you might follow up in the, whatever, in a comment or a reply with a link, or maybe not even, right? Your goal might be just to use that content that you created to grow your engagement and your audience on the social platform. So the next time you share the link, you get more traction, more, more attention. The, I think the level level three above even that is using a combination of starting on social with native content that it earns engagement and then taking the stuff that's earned engagement for you on social and turning that into content for your own site, knowing that you've already got the line from, I engage lots of people on social around this topic and now I've you know, written about or published about this topic on my own site. And so now I can go back to that audience that was engaged with it and I can, you know, add it to the thread or, you know, share it on my feed. And that that's kind of level three. And there, there's even more distribution options out there. I, I urge folks who are interested in these tactics to check out uh, Ross Simmons's work around uh, from Foundation Inc. Uh, Ross Simmons does a whole ton of education, marketing education around the distribution process of content. And I think he's he's absolutely a genius around it. And and the other one is my colleague at SparkToro, Amanda Natividad. I mean, you can you can see her brilliance, right? She just her Twitter account alone. Last last year at this time, she had about a thousand followers. Now she's over sixty thousand. That has happened exclusively organically through her sharing the kinds of threads and content and earning an audience and engaging with people on Twitter that has made her sort of a must follow for a ton of people. And you can see all the tactics that she uses just by studying her account. The, in terms of using social for SEO, so everything we talked about with content benefits from that, right? So all the amplification that you might do, every visitor is an opportunity for engagement, for a link, for branding, for branded search volume in the future, for a reference and a recommendation in the future. And all those things feed into SEO and have positive impacts on Google. You can do more direct kinds of social SEO things. Uh, someone, who was it? I think it was Brendan Hufford, is that his name? On LinkedIn had a great example. So what was really interesting is he, he shared this example of someone, of an SEO social hack. But essentially, what he's pointing out is this Sean Puri was <laughs> urging his social uh, followers to go to Google and search for the brand that was associated with their, I think it's a cryptocurrency offering of some kind. I'm not exactly sure what, what they do. But by doing that, you get people to search for you, click on your result in the links, and then you start to outrank other things that might be competing for your brand or your topic. And I did some experiments around this back in my Moz days. It was very effective. I could get, you know, basically I could get Google to change the ordering of the search results for several hours by just by sending a tweet. And yeah. 
if you have a big following, that that tends to work. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I'm going to go through that uh, link and share it with the audience as well. Uh, so thanks for sharing that. I noticed that you use Follower Wonk, obviously, for your Twitter profile. What are the other tools that you use for social media? What's in the toolbox? Not a ton, to be honest. I mean, this is self-serving, but Amanda and I both use a lot of SparkToro itself to identify you know, people who are influential with the audiences that we want to reach and and sources that they pay attention to and then contribute to those and do partnerships and webinars, blah, 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 blah. The only other one that has been uh, really big for us and super valuable is um, we do a lot of video. And so there's a few tools in there. Uh, right now, I'm on video with you through Open Broadcast System, OBS, which I have set up with my my camera system and you can do, you know, you can do sort of fun things with it, right? I can whatever, you know, make my make myself small or or add, you know, sort of box in box screen sharing or other kinds of fun things. We also use uh, Wistia, which is our video host. And we do, you know, there's lots of options around self-hosting stuff and social sharing and hosting stuff that is very useful editing capabilities and analytics around video so we can see where people are dropping off in the content that we create. We also use uh, Crowdcast for our webinars, and I think very highly of them. They, they have just an outstanding platform. It's sort of just the right amount of features and not too much to be complex, and they handle you know, thousands of guests at a time really, really well. They've got a great chat interface. It's, it's super well done. Interesting. Quite a lot of tools uh, to kind of explore. In your opinion, what do you think is the future of social media? Is it metaverse? Is it something you know even bigger than that? Nope, I don't think it is metaverse or something bigger than that. That I think this is very similar to Tejas. I don't know. I don't know how old you are, but I see a little bit of gray in your beard and uh, like mine. <laughs> and so I am guessing you remember, you know, sort of the the nineteen. 70s, 80s, even the early 90s, there was this whole like, oh, well, television is going to evolve into virtual reality environment, like living room, and you're going to watch things live and you're going to be there. And this, I don't want that. Nobody wants that. It's, it's, a, it's a solution in search of a problem. I just, I think that the, the audience for what the metaverse is trying to be you know, and what Zuckerberg imagines is just way, way too small. And I think, unfortunately, what happens with a lot of these like billionaire tech founders is their ideas up to a certain point worked so well, made them so rich and famous and powerful that they believe that all their other ideas must be equally that good. And so, you know, and you see this throughout history, right, with rich and powerful people who who think that their ideas are, all of them are going to be world-changing and excellent. And of course, it's usually just the first few that, that work that way. The future of social media, I think, is going to be very, very different based on what governments around the world do, especially here in the United States, where I think that it's quite possible that regulation around uh, M&A, so acquisitions, you know, basically, I think that the the FTC and 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 other organizations are considering whether in today's world they ever would have allowed something like Facebook's acquisition of Instagram. And I think the answer to that is no. Or even, you know, Google's rollout of an integration of Google Maps to say like, hey, are you allowed to take your own property and put it at the very top for everything? And uh, the WhatsApp acquisition by Facebook is another great example. 
Yeah. So I think we could see some big changes there. I also think there's some big potential changes coming around bifurcation of communities. So essentially folks, you know, younger generations and people who kind of are getting tired of the social platforms that they have been using and looking for more niche communities. I think that's on the horizon, whether that's niche communities like I'm going to go to my own subreddit and participate there, or I'm going to leave Facebook for fresh chalk or next door or whatever, you know, whatever niche community is more aligns with what I want to pay attention to and care about. But I think that uh, split is also coming. It's very, very powerful to see how FTC can control or like governments can control social media. I remember the past president wanted to kind of, you know, have TikTok exit the US market or like, you know, have it acquired by Oracle or somebody in the lines. But that reminds me, do you think TikTok is eating Instagram's lunch? Doesn't look like it. Yeah. I mean, Instagram growth and engagement was one of the few bright spots, I think, in Facebook's last earnings report. And TikTok's obviously had kind of its fastest growth ever. So it doesn't look like they're cannibalizing each other. I th- I think that they're different for people use them differently and, and together. I think I would be a little more worried about maybe Snapchat and TikTok. I think that Snapchat might have a tough time as kind of the social network number five or six competing against TikTok. And yeah, TikTok itself certainly has found a a niche that's really um, unique. I think they've got that advantage going from just all the creators using them because the audience seems to be there. So the audience uses them because the creators are there, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And and I don't think, I, it doesn't seem to be cannibalizing YouTube either, which is going just as strong as ever. So yeah, tough to say. I I could see, I could see a future, you know, on the political front, I could absolutely imagine things go badly with Russia, Ukraine, China backs Russia, the United States gets much more aggressive against, you know, China, Russia, and, you know, does decide that TikTok is far too dangerous a threat vector and shuts it down. And then, you know, other Western countries do similar and, and TikTok, whatever, goes away, gets acquired, blah, blah, blah. That's not impossible for me to imagine. I think it was one of the, I have lots of, so many disagreements with, with the previous president, but I'm not sure the TikTok one was the craziest thing he ever did. <laughs> so, yeah, I could see that happening. And I don't pretend to know those worlds deeply, but it's, it's not impossible. Sure. My last one for you. Who in the world of social media would you like to take out for lunch? Who do you like want to talk and kind of, you know, uncover secrets from? Oh, man. Gosh. You know, I don't know a ton about the, the new Twitter CEO, Agrawal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's someone I'd love to learn more about because Twitter is very interesting to me and it's a primary network for what I do and what SparkToro does. And I think that whereas, you know, Twitter's previous leadership all had very defined public personas, you know, Parag is someone who's just much comparatively more quiet and I'm sure is a fascinating person and, and interesting. And I would love to know the kind of direction that that he's thinking about for the company. Wonderful. Well, Ran, thanks a lot for a wonderful and engaging session. Uh, There's a lot to learn for myself as well as uh, all of our audiences here at Social Palette. Where can people find you? Is Twitter the best place? 
depends. If you want all of my opinions, <laughs> then Twitter is great uh, where I'm at Randfish. If you're looking for more just you know business, marketing, work-focused stuff, LinkedIn is good. And uh, so is the SparkToro blog. Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Rand, for your time. Lovely speaking to you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tejas. Talk to you soon. The Art of Social Media is brought to you by Social Pilot. To find out more about Social Pilot and how we can give you everything you need to hit your social media marketing goals, visit socialpilot.co. And then make sure to search for The Art of Social Media in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Social Pilot, thanks for listening.